This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Many believe objects can hold power. A crucifix, crystals, the ankh, the yarmulke, a prayer mat. There are items that hold a special significance and power for many across the world. However, while these items are said to represent virtues such as compassion, peace, and dedication, can items be imbued with a negative force? What if you brought an item into your very own home that with it brought an ancient curse? and one hell bent on reaching beyond the void of time and space with the intent of pure malice. This is something strange. The curse of the Hexum Heads. Hexham is a market town in Northumberland, England. It has a rich history dating back to ancient times. The area was settled by the Romans in the first century AD, and by 84 AD, after a military offensive, the Romans had essentially subjugated the Celtic Britons that inhabited Great Britain at the time. The town of Hexham itself was founded as a Saxon settlement in the 7th century AD. The Saxons called it Hegsdon, which means a place of refuge in Old English. In the Middle Ages, Hexham became an important religious and cultural centre with the establishment of the Hexham Abbey. The abbey was founded in AD 674 by St. Wilfred, and the abbey itself was also a centre of learning and education, and many important manuscripts were produced there. Hexham was also an important market town and centre of trade during the Middle Ages. The town had several markets and fairs which attracted traders from all over the region. The town also had a thriving wool trade and was known for its high-quality cloth. During the English Civil War, Hexham was a royalist stronghold and by 1644, the town was besieged by parliamentary forces. The town was eventually captured and the castle and abbey were both damaged. In the 19th and 20th centuries, Hexham experienced significant growth and development. The town's population grew as new industries and businesses were established. The town also became a popular tourist destination, known for its history, architecture and beautiful countryside. Hexham's history is vast but the town itself has never been a hotbed for strange happenings. However, this would change 
in 1971 when a curse was unearthed in Hexham, a curse that may have originated from nearly 3,000 years previously. The year was 1971. Leslie Robson, aged 8, and his brother Colin, 11, were in the back garden of their family home at Tree Reed Avenue. It was an especially boring day for the kids, so, as young children do, they found fun wherever they could make it. This led to the children beginning to dig holes near the wall in their back garden. Though nothing was found at first in the unremarkable soil in the back garden of Tree Reed Avenue, Colin, after stabbing with his shovel into the ground, hit something hard. The two boys got to their hands and knees and clawed at the soil, worried that the shovel they were using might damage whatever treasure they had just found. As the children pulled clumps of soil from the hole they had just made, they noticed two small grey objects at the bottom of the hole. Leslie reached into the hole and removed the objects. Cleaning off the soil stuck to the small, round items, the boys were puzzled to find that the objects were stone heads. The two stone heads were the size of tennis balls, and each featured a different design. The first stone head, given the name The Boy, depicted a basic and mostly expressionless face, topped off with a simple haircut on its head. The second, known as the hag, was very different. Its mouth was agape, its eyes wide open, and next to the boy, it looked ghastly and disturbing. It was quite the find for Leslie and Colin, who didn't expect to unearth anything interesting when they began digging into the ground in their back garden. The children proudly brought their bizarre treasure inside and placed the heads on a shelf in their bedroom. However, little did Leslie and Colin know that they had just unknowingly invited something dark and sinister into the safe haven that was Tree Reed Avenue. Soon after the heads had found their new home with the Robsons, strange things began to happen. Though the two stone heads were placed on the shelf in the children's room, they would often wake up to find the heads have moved to a different position or, in some cases, entirely missing. Leslie and Colin would question their entire family about it, assuming it was some kind of prank. However, no one in the household claimed to have anything to do with the moving and missing strange heads. As fast as they vanished, the heads began to show up in different places throughout the house. In fact, it was soon to be a daily occurrence in which the heads began to vanish and to reappear. The children, now beginning to become deeply unsettled by the fact that these heads were seemingly moving or teleporting their way throughout their house, told their parents about what was happening. But their parents did not believe them, 
and chalk the outlandish claim down to an overactive imagination of a child. But that was about to change. Everything changed with the Robson household when the seemingly harmless supernatural force that was moving the stone heads became violent. Soon after their parents shot down the theory from Leslie and Colin, their mother claimed that while she was in the kitchen, an empty wine bottle was hurled across the room, seemingly from an unseen assailant. Exploding on impact on the wall behind her, the entire family was now forced to face up to the notion that perhaps the strange stone heads that Leslie and Colin brought into the home had a curse attached to them. Whatever it was, it wasn't just affecting the Robson family either, as their neighbours, the Dodds, were also beginning to experience paranormal activity they could not explain. For the Dodds, this came to a head when their youngest son claimed that one night he woke up in the early hours of the morning, feeling a tugging sensation at his hair. The boy said that, despite being completely alone in the room, he felt a cold hand rubbing against his scalp and pulling his hair with such a force that it felt as if it was trying to drag the child from the bed. The child sprung up from his bed and ran out to his parents' room, crying, letting them know what had just happened. Though skeptical at first, much like with the Robsons, the Dawes were beginning to worry that the paranormal goings-on were taking a malevolent turn. Shortly after this ominous encounter, Nellie, the mother of the household, was about to have an encounter herself that pulled the experiences from the realm of the unseen to that of the very real. One night while reading a book in bed and winding down after a long and hectic day, Miss Dodd looked up from her book to see a shocking and disturbing sight. There, standing at the foot of her bed, is what she described as a humanoid that was half man, half sheep. The creature stood upright on two thin legs. It had a wide chest and a face that was a blend of both features of a sheep and a human. Miss Dodd froze with fear as she looked into the large, soulless eyes of this impossible creature. After what felt like an eternity passed, the being turned and hurriedly sprinted downstairs, through the hallway and out the front door. Miss Dodd quickly got out of bed, ran across her room and peered out her window. The creature could be seen running quickly across a field, but soon vanished into a nearby forest. With these incidents now beginning to affect their own neighbours, the Robsons decided to reach out to a local newspaper in order to get their story out there, in a bid to figure out what exactly was taking place. 
The story that broke in the newspapers launched the heads from unknown local oddity to a country-wide curiosity. The heads, much to the relief of both the affected families, were removed from the Robsons' home. Whether they were cursed supernatural relics or simply just pieces of historical significance, many different groups wanted their hands on the Hexham heads, as the newspapers were now calling them. The heads were first handed over to the Hexham Abbey for examination, which was followed by more tests at the Museum of Antiquities at Newcastle University. And ultimately, the heads made their way to a number of different places. From historians, scientists, archaeologists, and even psychics, all manners of tests were done by different people. However, ultimately none of the experts could agree on a consensus, as they were unable to truly determine both what exactly the heads were made of and when they were created. It was at this point that the Hexham heads got the attention of Dr. Anne Ross, a highly respected Celtic scholar. Best known for her 1967 book, the Pagan Celts and the Pagan Celtic Britain, Dr. Ross was paying close attention to this bizarre story that was growing around the Hexham heads. Dr. Ross came into possession of the heads and, as she suspected from seeing pictures of the heads, she believed that they were Celtic heads. Celtic heads are a type of ancient sculpture that depict human heads with stylized features. They were typically made of stone and were found in various parts of Europe and the British Isles, particularly around areas in which the Celts lived. These heads date from the late Iron Age, which is around 4th century BC to the 1st century AD. The heads were usually decorated with intricate patterns and designs, such as spiral, geometric, and zoomorphic motifs. And they often had a strong sense of individuality, as if they were depicting a specific person. They are believed to have been used as religious or ceremonial objects, and may have been associated with ancestor worship or the worship of gods and goddesses. Though Celtic curses weren't only limited to stone heads, they wore an item it is said that the ancient Celts tried to place curses on. These curses were typically spoken aloud or written on a piece of parchment and then buried, hidden or thrown into a river, lake or body of water, such as the River Tyne, located a very short distance away from the Robson and Dodd households. Celtic curses were often accompanied by rituals or sacrifices. These rituals could involve burning or burying objects or making offerings to the gods. Some curses were also accompanied by physical actions, such as walking around a person or object three times spitting or making some other gestures. 
Celtic curses were considered powerful and were not to be taken lightly. They were often used as a last resort, and those who have used them were believed to have angered the gods and could face severe consequences. The following is an excerpt from Dr. Anne Ross's 1967 book, The Pagan Celts and the Pagan Celtic Britain, in which Dr. Ross speaks of the Celts' fascination with the human head. The human head was regarded by the Celts as being symbolic of divinity and other world powers. The motif of the severed head figures throughout the entire field of Celtic cult practice, temporarily and geographically, and it can be traced in both representational and literary contexts from the very beginning to the latter part of the tradition. The cult of the head, although pronounced amongst the Celts, is by no means peculiar to them. Since man's earliest religious awareness, the human head has been a focus of superstitious interest, and many people have, at a certain stage of their development, observed special rites in connection with the heads. These included severing the heads from the body after death and decorating it with whatever material was available. The head has also been used by many peoples as a war trophy, the heads of the slain constituting the insignia of military prowess. The Celts are this by no means unusual in the respect which they paid to the human head. They are, however, singular in the extent to which they carried this veneration, incorporating the head in their art and in the religious practices as a symbol and as an object of superstitious regard. Shortly after taking the Hexham heads into her home, Dr. Ross would also start to experience strange paranormal goings-on. Doors opening and closing on their own accord. Objects vanishing and reappearing. The sensation of being watched and also the sighting of a shadowy figure that stalked Dr. Ross and her family. Much like the dogs before her, however, Dr. Ross would also come into contact with a non-human entity. It happened on a dark and foggy night. Dr. Ross woke suddenly in her bed. There was an icy chill in the air, and she felt the presence of someone or something. She slowly sat up, and as her eyes adjusted to the dim light of her lamp, Dr. Ross could hear labored breathing from somewhere in her bedroom. There was a figure in her room, and it was frantically searching for something in her drawers. Though the sight of this beast dumbfounded Dr. Ross, she claims what stood before her was a tall creature that looked like a blend of a man and also a wolf. It had thick legs and arms, a muscular body covered in patches of filthy matted hair, and a large wolf's head on top of its powerful shoulders. Looking like a classical depiction of a werewolf, Dr. Ross shrieked in terror. In response to being discovered, the beast hastily exited the house. A similar experience also happened to Dr. Ross's daughter, Bernice, 
in which she witnessed the very same creature. Bernice's encounter with the wolf-like creature happened during the day. Upon returning from a local shop, Bernice entered the home and came across this incredible creature, rifling through the drawers and cabinets. Once the creature saw Bernice, it halted its search and escaped the home. On both occasions, it appears the creature was searching for something, perhaps even the Hexum heads themselves. Soon after these sinister encounters, Dr. Ross once enthralled by the mysteries that the Hexum heads might hold, wanted nothing to do with them, and they were soon sent to the next person in line for investigation. This wasn't the first time the peoples of Hexham were plagued by a creature. As in 1904, a grey wolf escaped from the zoo and slaughtered a number of livestock over the course of a year. Initially believed to simply be a legend, the mystery turned out to be very real. The grey wolf was found dead in 1905, cut straight through the middle by a passing train. However, as the grave wolf was incredibly old, and the carcass that was found was very young, some believe that the carcass found was not that of the Hexham wolf, and the creature lived on. In fact, some locals of Hexham were entirely convinced that the sighting of the wolf-like creature in 1971 were directly connected to the original sightings of the grave wolf as if the Hexham heads themselves had summoned the creature. As the years passed, so did the hands that took possession of the Hexham heads. The Hexham heads eventually vanished, leaving those that were affected by its power to simply be thankful that they did not fall victim to the mythical creatures that visited their homes in a bid to find the cursed objects. It seems Celtic curses are not to be trifled with, as they hold the power to bring about suffering, misery, and debt. The ancient Celts believed that these curses were not just words spoken aloud, but a manifestation of the wrath of the gods themselves. And it was said that those who invoked their power would face dire consequences. The rituals and spells associated with the curses were not for the faint of heart. But the danger of those curses lie not in the rituals themselves, but in the power of the mind. It is said that those who believe in the power of curses are the ones who will fall victim to them. It is the fear, the anxiety, and the belief that brings these curses life. So, as you go about your day, being mindful of the ancient curses of the Celts, as they may still linger buried under your very feet, waiting for an unwary victim to fall under their spell. Were the Hexham heads ancient Celtic items imbued with a curse? 
what were the strange human-animal hybrid creatures that Dr. Ross and Miss Dodd encountered? And where exactly are the Hexum heads now? This has been Something Strange. Thank you for listening to Something Strange. Please consider following Something Strange on Twitter, which is at a strange pod. We're also on both Instagram and TikTok at Something Strange Pod. Or perhaps if you'd like to email me directly, you can contact me at somethingstrangepod at gmail.com. Something Strange is written, produced, and performed by me, Dennis Murphy. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.